the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. So a poor food experience all the way around, DT. All the way around. Oh, well. I didn't even get to the moist hen or any. Oh, it was just Burger King got me. But that said, I did order successfully in French in Burger King. So it was all right. <laughs> okay. So we know maybe I might drop this in. Uh, so we know from Pulp Fiction, a Royale with cheese in, <laughs> in, in Amsterdam is a quarter pounder with cheese. How do you successfully order? First of all, you, you ended up where? In Montreal for a bite to eat? Oh, the first the first thing I did was go down to there's a Burger King just down after I hit the Dollarama, which is a couple blocks away from the hotel. I just went Too bad over we to didn't have King, one of those so like, in Winnipeg, Dollarama. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I go to stock up with my be- with my uh, room beverages. All right, the, uh, all right, you're off the hook. The trip. Uh, so yeah, and uh, went over to the uh, the Burger King and just I'm like I'll, I'll get something fast to eat so I can get down to work and blah 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 and. Oh, well, I'm gonna see if I can order this in French, and if I can find out what the hell I ordered. Oh, it was a yummy Whopper melt, a jalapeno a spicy Whopper melt. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I forget what the I saw the words on the board. I'm like, oh, I can pronounce that. Oh, I'm like, so oh, you read? Well. So you read them? You didn't? Oh yeah. You, you, okay, all right. That that makes so a like, little uh, more uh, sense. I'm like, uh, Whopper épicé. Uh, uh, oui. She goes. She goes. Uh, Entrio. I'm like. We, boom, there you go. Entrio apparently was for in a combo, so I don't know. So you got the amount of food requested, hoped for, and um, yeah, no, but no Schwartz, no Schwartzes. You went to Burger King instead. Went to, went to Burger King on the first date. What did I? I forget what I would have done for dinner that night. Oh, uh, dinner that night, I probably went to oh some uh, hole in the wall uh, Vietnamese noodle house. Oh, nice! And then, yeah, it was, it was the food was good. Uh, it was a uh, total hole in the wall. And then uh, breakfast the next morning, I went to Expectation. Uh, it's a local chain place in in uh, Montreal. There, really good. All right, so you did take in some of the culture. The culture of winning is is really the culture of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and that was a nice bounce back win. And for a low scoring game. Derek, I have to say, and and we don't have to harp on the whole delay thing. <laughs> you, you had several hours. Well, a minute, uh, what is it? An hour and 40 minutes to fill on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So we won't make you do that. But in terms of a game that was played in the conditions that it was played, I would suggest that was a fairly entertaining game on Saturday night. Yeah, for sure. Right. Even with, uh, Montreal, you know, has has these big plays, but then Brandon Alexander with that incredible interception on the goal line. And I say incredible more for the moment that it was and what it turned away for the the Alouettes versus it being, you know, this amazing athletic play. Stand back in the backfield. They'll fake it. Coach Pajardo pumps, throws a little oh. picked up inside the five, beautifully red, and here go the Bombers. 20, 25, 30, 35, red like a book by Brandon, Brandon Alexander. Did he laterally still going? I thought he'd be down, and I was looking at the replay for Brandon Alexander's crucial interception and massive return. Hey, it was it was really good. Hey, here's here's deep pass plays. Here's if you're the Bombers, big run plays. Um, they had a little of everything, and there weren't really any points where there may be a couple of points where I thought, oh, that ball might have gotten away on that quarterback. But the the rain, the fact that it was raining during the game, didn't really seem to affect the play too much, which I think was also a plus. So let's talk about the bounce back of the Blue Bomber defense. Jackson Jeffcoat, maybe we make too much of his presence. Maybe we don't make enough of it. Based on what happened Saturday, the latter may be true. Well, and that's the thing, and it's it's tough to kind of figure out how much does one guy, what are the ripple effects of, of him throwing his pebble in the water, right? But, I mean, it, we noticed that Willie Jefferson had a really good first game, and Willie Jefferson was an absolute monster in this game, and those are the two games he played with Jackson Jeffcoat on the other wing, as it were, right? So is that coincidence? Is that just how how it works when teams now have to do with two absolute home-wrecking 
defensive ends. Uh, yeah, Jeff Coat was really good. I mean, Jefferson was the was the story, right? Why why they thought they could, uh, you know, with with seven bombers showing on the line of scrimmage, why they thought they could, you know, fake the run and throw it underneath Willie. Gut was funny because all of a sudden this eight foot man with arms just to the sky comes in and knocks Fajardo's pass out of the sky. He eventually finessed him on a later attempt at an RPO, but. Yeah, uh, Willie was phenomenal, and it, you know, it's it'll take smarter man than, than me. It would take R- Richie Hall might be able to to best describe how one affects the other. But yeah, just having Jackson in there, I think we saw a significant difference in in the impact of that front four for sure. Stature, physicality, athleticism. Willie Jefferson is really such a special player. His ability. To jump his ability to use his, you know, his God-given abilities, but also that height and the length and, you know, his wingspan has got to be out of the ordinary and his ability just to read what's going on. He had that one play where he's chasing Cody Fajardo and his helmet is basically turned around backwards and he still almost finds his way to the quarterback. The instincts of Willie Jefferson are undeniable. Yeah, and, and I've had people kind of downplay it. Well, he's so tall that, of course, he can do this stuff. And, yeah, I don't really care for that because other guys have been tall. Other guys have been strong. Other guys are fast, right? Uh, but nobody knocks down passes like Willie Jefferson, you know. Well, it's not a, it's not a sack, so what does it count for? Eh, it makes it second and ten, so it's pretty good, right? It's it's pretty important. He, he just – he has it all, and, I mean – the the smarts to know how to set a guy up and to be able to to be able to pull it off is one thing, but to be able to know, hey, this is the time where I'm going to go to that really long step inside move, or, or I'm just going to rip this guy and we're let's go right. Those those guys, defensive players aren't dumb. You know, knowing how knowing a guy's tendencies and knowing what might work in this time, as much as it you know kind of feels like it, you know, it's not superhero Willie who can just levitate an offensive lineman and move him out of the way. There's got to be some guile to go with all those other physical gifts. And as I I'm just went back to the, the game that I charted out last night, eight quarterback pressures from Willie Jefferson is an insane number for a single game. And that's exactly what it felt like, that this was an absolutely dominant performance from uh, from Willie Jefferson. I know I have mentioned this to you and we haven't dug deep into the numbers unless you've been doing it behind my back and and you've just been saving me the embarrassment of being very wrong about this. But the whole idea of having Brandon Alexander in the middle, I feel the complexion of that Blue Bomber defense changed dramatically in the late going of 2019 when they moved 37 into that safety position. I think the plays that he makes and has been asked to make over the years when he's in the lineup have been spectacular and the plays maybe that teams don't go to because he's there. And that's maybe the point of contention. Uh, You might be able to prove me wrong on that, but I just get the sense that 37 makes a difference in terms of the decisions quarterbacks make as to whether or not they're going to send their receivers in his direction or not. Yeah, I the best story I think I have for that is uh, I was doing my top 50 ballot this year and I was talking to a couple of guys, former CFL guys who who were also doing their ballot and uh they were just kind of running through it and I said, "What about Brandon Alexander?" and they both went, "Oh, yep, yep, got to get him on there." And I you know, "Oh, okay. Well, that's the esteem that people who know better have for for Brandon Alexander." His interception in this game, I thought in, in the moment I thought, "Oh, that's that's kind of good fortune plus good play." Uh, because uh, Fajardo kind of pump fakes to a hitch on his right-hand side, but he intends to do that and then throw the slant to the inside. And I thought, oh, that's great. Uh, Alexander's hustling to, you know, he's 45 yards away from the hitch, but he's hustling to get over there, and it just happens that Fajardo throws it into his lane. But when I saw it on the replay last night, I went, oh, when Fajardo fakes a hitch, like Alexander's, going in that general direction, but he knows, he appears to know he has the slant if it's coming over top. He's got the second receiver there so that when Fajardo turns and tries to fire it to Austin Mack, Alexander's already taken a few steps, I don't know, four, five, seven, whatever, steps toward uh, Austin Mack and then just walks right in front of the football. And I I watch that and I go, 
Okay, that guy knows exactly what's going on, uh, exactly what I presume his responsibilities were. He knew exactly where to go. Everything about it seems so smart, and that's that's one of the things. As I know, as I learn more about football, I I realize there's a lot of smart dudes playing this game and able to just go, oh, they're doing this. This looks like this. Okay, they're probably doing this. I better go here. And then, I mean, again, to have the physical gifts to to go get there, and then. Man, by the way, that guy also brings a massive load when when someone's coming into his area. He's going to drop a hammer on them, even though he's not a 200-pound safety, right? He's not a – Alexander's not the biggest guy ever, but he brings a load when he hits. He was – it was such an impressive uh, play at such a good time because 17-3 is way better than 17-10, and the home team has life, right? So the timing of that plus the huge return. Uh, big, big Brandon Alexander fan. I wish I could, I wish I could Greg, quantify – safety play a little better than I currently can but uh, I feel like for for now it's kind of you know greatness when you see it yeah and, and so yeah maybe that's it we'll, we'll just leave it there until we're we're proven wrong on that front yeah. and 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 if somebody comes up with a metric that can uh, prove us wrong on that front then uh, you're welcome to do so uh, dt at cjob.com if you want to send him an email gback at cjob.com if you'd like to refute the the power of of one brandon alexander so we're 10 minutes into our podcast recording and we've yet to talk about the winnipeg blue bomber offense i guess that's what happens when you give up just three points on defense, but the offense, obviously an interesting set of circumstances for the Blue Bombers. No Nick Dembski on Saturday. Greg McRae slides into the lineup. Obviously, he's an American, so there's some some adjusting that needs to be done in terms of the lineup when McRae's on the field, etc. If you want to go down that road, we can, but his impact on the game was undeniable, and we had Brady Oliveira on Breakfast with the Bombers today. We'll play that piece for you a little bit later in the podcast, but we asked about the impact of McRae and the things that he can do. And Brady says, hey, I'm all for having McRae in the lineup because it re- he really his presence really sets defenses on their heels, he thinks. Well, he's another guy who can do many things, right? Like in that game alone, he, he let me take a look just to confirm. Yeah, he, he takes a little jet sweep from slot back. He, he goes to the traditional running back set. A hole opens up and bang, he hits it for 34 yards. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. They threw the ball downfield as well. He he did all these things that Nick Dembski can do. And Dembski, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure you and I have talked about it before, but I've talked about it in other places. And just how unique Dembski truly is with his ability to run from here and to run from here and run from a traditional running back spot and the little pop pass jet sweep combinations and he he can go deep with the best of them and he you know works underneath and he crushes teams that way to be able to get that from a guy uh like greg mccray is is a real real big plus he can do both of those things so on a day where you don't have dembski who's been one of your, I mean, maybe your second best receiver this season uh, after if after Dalton shown, but I could, if you wanted to say it was Dembski, I could, I could certainly find a way to get there uh, to be able to uh, be missing Dembski and yet not miss him whatsoever because McCray's able to do a lot of that stuff. It's, it's terrific. I don't know if the, if they could find a way to get McCray onto the roster when Kenny Lawler is ready to play, but uh, oh boy, he was, he was uh, really impactful in this one as uh, Gosh, by the time, you know me, I'm not the biggest fan of the run game, but I'll just point out, they'd, by the time they achieved that 17 nothing lead, they'd rushed for 138 yards. And you go, ooh, that running game really impacted that game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And in the in the conditions, it's not surprising. And also ask Brady about that idea of getting the rock when everybody expects you to. And and he loves that circumstance. At least that's what he expressed to us. And and I'm not surprised because his mentor, Andrew Harris, was so good at that. And we have spoken about that. And on the Dembski front, I believe that Dembski is sort of the unofficial <laughs> face of this franchise and and does so many special things and and his presence on this team is absolutely I think immeasurable the things he's able to do and he just goes about it in a way that is just very Winnipeg in my mind he's just sort of yeah. under the radar in terms of uh, his 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 communication style with the, through to the fans through the media and I just uh, I'm a, I'm as big a fan of Nick Dembski as you are I think uh, let's talk a little bit can, about that. can we talk about Oliveira for one sec, G Mac? We can 
can talk about Brady Oliveira for the rest of this podcast if you'd like, Derek Taylor. So, yeah, just, you, you know, I, I go back and I go through every play and just look at this and look at that and look at, you know, yards before contact and yards after contact. And it just, I was watching the, the I was redoing the game from, from the weekend and watching it last night. And every time Brady senses, okay, this run might end because tacklers are in my immediate vicinity, he's looking to punish somebody for being in his way. He is just... Oh, you're you're a linebacker. Drop a shoulder on you. Defensive back. Good luck with the rest of your life. But you're about to take a real real hit here. I William Stanback on the other side of of, of this game is a, is a real physical runner, but he doesn't like, initiate contact in my mind the way Brady Oliveira does. He's just he's looking to looking to absolutely punish somebody for trying to be in his way. And Brady talks about Brady Brand football, and he, he wants to be able to lay these shots, but. And I, a lot of guys will say that, you know, I'd rather be the hammer than the nail kind of thing. But there are very few that, as I'm trying to run through them in my mind, that lay out the beats like Brady Oliveira does. It's it's so impressive to watch. Like, it's it's running is never going to be, be the way it was in the 80s. But, uh, you know, it, as far as its importance in the game. But, man, Brady runs like he plays in the 80s or the 70s or, or whatever. Like, hey, this is maybe maybe this is how Jim Brown ran. I'm going to just absolutely destroy somebody. It's fantastic. It's fantastically entertaining to watch that guy work. Well, I'm just quickly trying to look up the size, uh, height. Uh, yeah, here we go. Jerome Nessam. Oh, no, Jerome oh, Nessam, yeah. 6'3", 255. That's a big man. And if you're looking for comparables in terms of attacking the tackler, uh, Messam is the last guy that really jumped out for me, coincidentally Canadian. Uh, but, I mean, he's got at, at least five inches on Brady and I would say probably da, 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 uh, 30 pounds. Brady's 222. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go if you want to look for a comparison. Uh, how about Zach Kolaris uh, and and uh, the way he spread the ball around to different receivers? Uh, Drew Walatarski, I know he only had, what did he have, 29 yards receiving, but that touchdown catch and that throw from Kolaris, just once again, we talk about the timing aspect, but that was such an important drive. It was important the Bombers finish that drive with a touchdown and for Walatarski to get open deep in the corner that end zone the way he did, I, I thought was such a turning point in that game well and it just Walatarski with veteran savvy and then Buck Pierce with knowing what I think my interpretation will be Buck Pierce knowing what teams are thinking that that, uh, that Walatarski is supposed to do on that route he he you know he runs at the defensive back and then cuts in uh, and you go oh, okay well uh, and in from the field side this is this is a Walatarski standard but then he cuts it back up and just leaves a defensive back in it, just in the dust. And you go, well, and now I'm wide open. And of course, it's Zach, so he lays it in there perfectly. And you go, well, that's a real, that's a real nice one. You think he's, you think he's this guy because uh, you saw it at least a couple times in that game. Walatarski running an in route, and he, you know, he took a shot on one of them. But here's a little in and up in the in the red zone. You go, that's that's just great, and it's great on Walatarski to sell that. It's great on Buck Pierce to. Uh, to know what maybe defensive backs are thinking in that situation and Zach to just lay it right in there. It was, it was absolutely beautifully done. And and Zach was, Zach was on point for virtually, I mean, apart from the interception, which was a, a little bit of a, a, a whoops, he was really on point for, for this game. Just the touchdown to Dalton shown was perfection. Like it couldn't shown's got, Two, three yards of separation. Lay it right on him. Don't make this even remotely difficult. Two yards, second and eight. Blitz coming from the Alouettes. Kalaris with extra blockers. He's going to throw it up. Dalton Schoen's wide open for the touchdown. Dalton Schoen slipped in behind on the hash mark. And it's 16-0 Bombers. Kalaris is probably, I could dig it up here, probably accurate on 80% of his passes in this game. Like, he was, he was on point. And those are, again, those are bad conditions. As much as... It didn't seem to affect the game too much. That's to me. That's testament to to Kolaris and Cody Fajardo for not really letting it, letting those rainy conditions uh, affect them too bad and affect their passes too bad. It was, uh, it was really good. And I mean, Zach's the two-time MOP of the uh, of the league this or of the uh, of the league. So, yeah, maybe maybe we should have expected a a bounce back, but it was uh, super impressive. Uh, on his part, uh, 16 of 22 as far as uh, passes rated accurately for Kolaris. Is that his numbers? Yeah, so 
73% in those bad conditions, I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we were discussing, I think it was last week, the fact that we haven't had to talk about the kicking game so far this year. It was a little bit of a rough night for Jamison Sheehan, uh, the Blue Bomber punter. He mishandled, or maybe you can quantify it differently, uh, a snap on a Sergio Castillo field goal attempt. Uh, went 0-1 in the passing uh, game and struggled a little yeah. bit with the, the direction and, and the location of his punts. Is that more a factor of the weather? on Saturday? Is that where it was most impactful? Or or has J- Jameson uh, got a little bit of a, a spotlight on him this week in practice? Yeah, the no, I think he'll be fine because ultimately, even, even with it being kind of a struggle, he netted 39 yards per punt, which is, before this season, a preposterous number in the Canadian Football League, like up in the tops, top realms. But we're in a, I think we've transitioned to a, a new era of punting. He was still pretty good. The, the snap in the moment is that we were doing the game with Ed Tate. I thought, oh, it looks like that one was a little tough. Maybe it got inside a little bit. Uh, I've had uh, guys who who uh, who hold say if it's if it's in front of you, you can reach out and get it. But if it gets into your body, that's where it gets tough. This one actually, when I saw it again, it's coming it's coming high and hard from Mike Benson. But one of those ones where you know, okay, you're you don't have to turn your body to get it. You just would have to reach up and, and bring it down. So I think it's probably one that Jamison would want back and other snappers, other holders would think, okay, yeah, I should have, I should have had that one. And you know, he takes a lick for, for it right uh, on his part. But I still, when you net out 39 yards per punt and you know, as much as it wasn't uh, the BC game in which he had some really fantastic kicks, uh, I, I have zero concern about Jamison Sheehan now through four games. All right, Jamison Sheehan, uh, the rookie uh, kicker for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, just a, a question, an overall CFL question before we take a pause here. Derek Taylor, voice of the Blue Bombers here. The Toronto Argonauts are, of course, the defending Grey Cup champions. They had 45 points against BC on Monday night. Vernon Adams Jr., six interceptions. You can comment on that if you like, but my question for you, DT, is did the CFL make a mistake of having this game last night on Monday night versus Sunday night? Because I have to tell you, for as closely as I follow the CFL and I follow it about as closely as as anybody in in the country, I completely forgot about this game last night. Yeah, they they love having the game on Canada Day, uh, or the uh, the holiday of Canada Day, the mo- the Monday if Canada Day falls in a weekend. I I don't know what the answer to that is, uh, which one would be better. But I, I can totally understand. You know, people are getting back from wherever they went for the weekend, or they're just you know, okay, well I guess I got to go to work on Tuesday. And they could totally forget about it. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. But they seem they seem committed to it, so they must believe there's a real good reason to. To do that, oh my gosh, what a what a performance by the Argos! Hey, like, um, what was it? Double the number of points that BC had allowed. Yes, uh, in three games, yeah. more than double did Toronto put up in that game alone. And sure, they're aided. I mean, they're aided by Vernon Adams throwing six interceptions. But another fine performance from Chad Kelly. I won't go superstar performance from Chad Kelly, but it was really good and didn't throw any interceptions and just makes that thing tick and they're three and oh and toronto coming into the season maybe my biggest question was "Ooh, how much did toronto lose at quarterback and through four games the answer is zero and they might have gained from mcleod bethel thompson to chad kelly it's uh, i i look forward to looking deeper in, in and in at chad kelly and his performances thus far uh but uh that toronto like they're uh they're just a there's an absolute bust screaming down the road right now they're looking great i'm just looking up when the bombers have to face toronto when is that gray cup rematch because of course the cfl wouldn't have the gray cup rematch on the first week of the season how far and they don't go to toronto this year so it will be september 29th in winnipeg yeah that makes a lot of sense they're only meeting only meeting toronto doesn't go to bc for a rematch of what we saw yesterday, and uh, Winnipeg does not go to Toronto this year because reasons. I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, maybe we'll just <laughs> let's implement uh, the mom rule here. If you don't have anything nice to say, Hamilton doesn't go to Calgary either. Although it doesn't mean as much now, but it would have been really cool. Week one, Bo Levi Mitchell at Calgary. Boom, Grey Cup rematch. Boom. Anyway, 
They didn't and ask us. I don't. I, another one where another one where I don't know everything that goes into it, so I can only just uh, I can only just chirp from the peanut gallery on this one. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Winnipeg Blue Bombers are preparing for the Calgary Stampeders this Friday night with a win on Canada Day under their belt. Yeah, an impressive 17-3 win on Saturday in Montreal. Had the opening kickoff pushed back an hour, 40 minutes. Interesting circumstances. Our guys handled it really well. The, you know, big delay. They were ready to go, you know, for five to seven. <laughs> and then eight something, right? So I thought they did a great job of, of uh, making sure they were ready again, which isn't always easy. That is Blue Bombers head coach, Mike O'Shea. Coach's show tonight, by the way, special Tuesday night edition with the pseudo holiday yesterday at 7 till 8, part of the sports show tonight. Right now, joined by Blue Bomber running back Brady Oliveira. 20 rushes for 112 yards Saturday night. Good morning, Brady. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. It's a pretty tidy performance for you in the rain in Montreal on Saturday. You've experienced weather delays in the past. What did what did you do to pass the time, and and how did you ultimately get refocused? Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's quite difficult. You know, you, you get on this on this crazy high. You know, you're ready to go out, uh, take the field, and and you know, ultimately start the game, and then you know all these delays and. And another 15 minutes added, an extra 15 minutes added, and just kept on going and going. So, uh, yeah, I mean, lots of good conversations with teammates. It was almost like a, you know, extra time for us to get closer as a team and, and some really good team bonding and, and guys like maybe you don't really have many conversations with and with and, and just to get to know your teammates even more. So uh, lots of good conversations. And then also, you know, just maybe me personally, you know, put, putting on some relaxing music and, and, you know, taking off my pads, getting my legs up and, and just relaxing. Um, but just knowing that there can be a sudden change at any moment and you got to stay ready and put these pads on right away and strap up and, and get going. And then what was it like playing in that? Like, I couldn't quite, I, it was it was on when I was out for dinner, but it looked like it was raining either on and off or through the whole thing. Yeah, it was pre- pretty steady yeah, throughout the whole game. Uh, there was, parts of the game where it was coming down and uh, I think there was maybe about 10 minutes throughout the game where there was about no rain so we thought okay maybe it's done but then they'll continue to keep going but um, yeah it was uh, definitely a wet one um, but no it was fun the guys uh, the guys had fun I think we did a great job handling you know the circumstances of the of the delay uh, the weather uh, we went out there and handled business Brady, I often call uh, Andrew Harris uh, the professor and you the uh, PhD student. Uh, I think you could start teaching your own classes. You really have more or less picked up from where you left off last year. But that performance on Saturday night, one of the things I've always admired most about Andrew Harris is, was his ability and, and continues to be his ability to to move the ball and to gain positive yardage when everyone in the stadium, everyone watching on television knows he's getting the ball. And to a great extent, that's when you were carrying the ball on Saturday. So, so how do you how do you you know find a way to gain positive yardage when you know everybody is is pretty sure you're getting the rock? Yeah, and I think you know people might call me crazy, but uh, I love that the most when they know I'm going to run the ball. Um, it's even like a bigger challenge and and an obstacle that I gotta you know I gotta face and I gotta beat, uh, knowing that they know I'm going to get the ball and. And then in my mind, it's like, well, you know, you got to try and stop, uh, you know, this offensive line first, and then you know, you got to try to get to me and stop me uh, next. And uh, it's always a good challenge, and it's fun. Uh, you know, obviously, I like getting those uh, those tough yards, and, and it always seems to be, you know, th- those when those tough yards, you know, start to come out. And uh, yeah, I know it's been it, it's been good. It's been fun. You know, that offensive line is doing a great job. Our, our receiving core. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about the run game, everyone always. Oh, of course, talks about the offensive line. I think they obviously get things going in the run game, but um, you know, up here, especially with the receivers coming into the box to block and on the perimeter, allowing you know those runs to get extended. And our receivers are doing you know a tremendous job right now blocking. Um, you know, one guy that comes to my mind instantly is Rasheed Bailey. Uh, he did so much of the dirty work. Obviously, Dembski not being in that game, but so Rasheed really stepped up and. 
um, Wally, like Walatarski, you know, show everyone like the blocking that they're doing, allowing us to get more yards in the run game. Um, so it's definitely a total team effort in, in the in the rushing department. And yeah, we're just going to keep on building and keep on improving to get better. Our guest this morning for breakfast with the Bombers is Brady Oliveira, running back for the Bombers. No Nick Dembski on Saturday, but then Greg McRae steps in and gives the offense yet another weapon for the Alouettes to deal with. So how does that open up the field for you? Oh, it's, I, uh, I was actually very pleased with that. Um, you know, I think Greg compliments me, you know, perfectly. Uh, I think it's a mix match, mix match for the defense. And I think it's something that we need to continue, uh, to show every single week and continue to build on that package because I really do think it throws defenses off. And you know, just looking at how my career has kind of panned out, you know, uh, looking back at my college career at North Dakota, um, there's a, another running back named John Santiago who was with us uh, in 19 training camp and then was with us for a couple of weeks. But uh, they called us Thunder and Lightning in college. And I was a Thunder. He was Lightning. Uh, he was a, a speed, fast dude. And I was more of the, you know, the power back. And I think, you know, you look at Greg and I, and that's kind of the similar thing. And, and it really does throw defenses off. So, like I said, I hope we can keep building on it. Uh, you know, Greg McCray is, uh, you know, one heck of a dude. He's a... Uh, um, a hard worker. He's a good guy in the locker room. Um, really puts everything into this. So, yeah, I'd like to see him get more opportunities, and I think it'll only benefit our team. Well, we have to talk dogs with you anytime we have you on the show, Brady. So let's shift gears for the last one here. Uh, not only uh, do you love your own dogs, we know how much you love others. Tell us a little bit about where you were over the off season, because I don't think we've spoken to you on the program uh, since the off season. Yeah, I was in uh, I was in Bali, Indonesia for two months. Uh, I was on a rescue mission there with my girlfriend Alex, and uh, yeah, we got lots lots of good work done. We were able to help out, uh, you know, local rescues out there, ind- independent rescuers out there, and uh, and yeah, really support them, be there for them, raise money for them, and uh, yeah, we, we it's uh, it's crazy, you know, what's going on there with the dogs in the streets. Um, you know, the 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 positive of being out there was. Uh, you know, the people don't have the means out there, um, some of them, but they really do try to, you know, do whatever they can to help help all the dogs out there and the street dogs. So, um, yeah, Alex and I were there for two months helping rescue street dogs. We brought lots into our into our villa, um, rehabilitated them, and, and then ultimately found them homes and got them adopted before we left. So uh, it was great. Uh, we filmed season two of our, of our mini-series called Running Back to the Rescue. So, Season one for people that want to watch is on YouTube. You can just search up uh, Brady Oliver running back to the rescue. Season one was filmed in Mexico. Season two should be dropping sometime in November, December. And then I guess we'll see where season three is going to be. But I'll be definitely somewhere warm next off season. Uh, yeah, doing, uh, doing rescue work. And before we let you go, Brady, I was having a conversation on Friday with a couple of people. And I had already previously thought this, but it was the others who were saying that Winnipeg is a football town. And one person said, why do you think that Winnipeg is a football town? And for me personally, I think it's because of stuff like, you know, we all, everyone knows the great work that you do with dogs and you're just a shining example of, of how so many of the bombers get out into the community that you, you know, you're so visible and that people don't just see you as this like, godlike athlete but you're just a person trying to do good things in the community but you're also pretty good at football <laughs> absolutely i think that's uh you know that that's great all the you know guys in that locker room uh you know like to be out in the community like to show face you know like to make you know winnipeg a better place and i think that's very important and uh like you said football you know winnipeg is a football town and i think you know the guys being on the community truly does help that all right, Derek Taylor, voice of the Blue Bombers, um, Calgary Stampeders, a, a Bo Levi Mitchell less Calgary Stampeders. Uh, Jake Meyer, what have you what have you seen from him that you like? What have you seen from him that says, yeah, Calgary has a lot of work to do? Yeah, I came into this season borderline out on Jake Mayer, and it's it's tough to kind of wrap my head around what it is when when he came in to the league he was absolutely fearless hammering the ball down the field oh it got picked off i'm gonna hammer a few more down the field and see what happens and what that evolved to last year 
was the shortest passing offense I've ever seen in my life. I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna throw a five yard stick route to this guy. I'm gonna throw a, a screen out here to Reggie Bagleton. Stick route screen, stick route screen, flat pattern drag, four yards downfield. More of uh, more than a third of his passes were within two yards of the line of scrimmage. And it was just I'd be watching some games going, this is interminable. This is how am I how how am I supposed to watch this? What's a fan in Calgary thinking watching this game? It's so awful. And okay, there's a terrific run play because this this run offense, whoever the running back is, is fantastic and they're moving bodies and wow, but oh, just without when Malik Henry got injured, it's like, oh, is there no 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 exciting plays? There's no equivalent a Calgary equivalent to the corner out to Dembski is there there's nothing so it it then made me think okay well if they're doing that why why is Dave Dickinson and the Calgary offense doing this is it because they think it's the best way to go or is they think or do they think it's the best that they can do with Jake Mayer and I tend to lean into a coach with that much experience in you know crafting offenses it's probably the best they think it's the best way to get the best out of Jake Mayer or the least damage out of Jake Mayer. And he'll complete 74% of his passes and his accuracy will be fine. But they going three yards here and six yards there and convert third and one with Tommy Stevens and start again. It's you you can't, in my mind, succeed. The playoff game in the West semifinal is kind of indicative of I think that maybe the limits of that without exceptional talent. So I I I'm I kind of don't know what to make of Jake Mayer anymore. I want to, because his first game, you know, his first couple of games are stuck in my mind of look at him just whip this ball all over the place. But he's come so far from that, or he's been allowed to, been forced to move so far away from that, that I just don't think of their offense as particularly threatening if uh, if they're not having an exceptional running game. And it's... It's really troubling because I Calgary should be good. Like there's Reggie Bagleton, good. Uh, you know they they had I think they took the top two uh, receivers in this year's Canadian League draft. Good. That's that's a nice move. Malik Henry's out for the year and probably a little longer. That's bad. But they have some have some pieces and yet their their offense does not push the ball like. Gosh, name your teams. Uh, Winnipeg, Edmonton tries to do it. Montreal certainly does it. BC likes to do it. On and on and on. They just they don't, and it's it can be a hard watch for me. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Michael Alway, who signed with Winnipeg once upon a time, has never played a game for them. Is uh, is their leading tackler DT? But Cam Judge, someone that you watch for a long time with Saskatchewan. What does he bring that that might concern the Blue Bombers from from his linebacker position? Yeah, Cam's a Cam's a physical guy. He's a big guy to be playing that weak side linebacker spot, and he moves real well. And last year, you know, he he made a lot of impact plays, be they interceptions, forced fumbles, free blitz for a sack. You know, he he makes a lot of other plays in that way. Can he do that? Pardon me, against the Bombers, we'll see. Uh, Calgary played them pretty tough last season, but I don't remember Judge particularly standing out in those those three matchups. It's uh, he, he's a good one. I don't I don't know if he duplicates what he did last season because there's a lot that goes into that, and there's a lot the things like interceptions have a lot of luck inherent to them. You have to be in the right place, and the ball has to be thrown in your general direction for you to make a play on it. And if they're not throwing the ball in your direction, uh, you're not going to make many picks. The, the uh, Dietrich Nichols story. So it's, he's a good one. Uh, I guess their biggest problem is they lose his partner in crime and Jameer Thurman in free agency. And you go to Micah Awe, a guy who's bounced around the CFL in the last few years. And you go, okay, Micah always had some good games, but to me, Jameer Thurman's on a different level. So now your your two man linebacking core is taking a uh, taking a real shot. So we'll see if, you know how much Alway can do what Thurman did, how much Judge may have to do uh, or add to his game. Let's say to uh, to pick up for that loss. I always uh, try and find a way to make a matchup compelling 
things that we need to look for and reasons to believe that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers shouldn't move to to three and one. Are there any going into Friday's game? And I'm going to give you a pass on the conversation we had leading into the BC game because nothing we said came to fruition. Uh, what about Calgary? Do, do they do they one, pose a threat? Are you once bitten twice? Are you once bitten twice shy now? Is that what's happening here? No, I'm actually I'm I'm actually believe it or not. Contrary to um, my my own instincts, I'm I'm feeling pretty comfortable going into Friday night against Calgary. I'm trying to find a reason why this is compelling and why Calgary fans should have any hope of their team coming into Winnipeg to win. I can't find any. Calgary's defensive front is is something that we'll we'll need to pay attention to. We could go with that. Uh, Mike Rose, their defensive tackle. To me, I mean, top 10 player in the Canadian Football League, in my mind. Uh, Julian Hauser, James Vodder's on the edge. Very, very good. They can they can really get after you up front when they, when it's working. They're young. Here's the thing, and it's, it's unusual for Calgary, but we mentioned Jameer Thurman, who they lost. They also lost Falera and Arimilade, who uh, I've said is in the next five years is going to win Defensive Player of the Year at some point. He's that good and that strong off the edge. They lost two 20-somethings in their defense, like prize premier free agents in their 20s left the Calgary Stampeders, which is not something we would say very often, right? They would let slightly older players go or players go when they knew they had a rock-solid option behind them. How do you let Stanley Bryant walk in free agency? Well, we had Derek Dennis, so how could we, you know, it was probably prudent for us to as insane as it sounds, it may have been prudent to let the soon-to-be four-time most outstanding lineman walk because we could be a little less expensive in that position for a few years. These were two losses, speaking of of Thurman and Rimalade, they don't. I'm not used to them losing those kind of guys. And then they've had to fill in some spots in their defensive backfield as well. It's it's rough. Uh, if the front can get home, then as as BC did, then that can cause all sorts of problems. But this, I know this just isn't the 2022 Calgary Stampeders in my mind. So I'm not going to go on uh, and say, hey, you know what? They're, you know, they're going to get absolutely mopped up by the uh, by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as I was just absolutely accurately crowing against the BC Lions. Yikes! <laughs> upon reflection, but yeah, Calgary has been really unexpectedly poor so far this season. It's they've got some talent left over. But I, it just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what's happening so far this season. But it's not traditional Stampeders football. Sixty-seven points scored so far in three games. Calgary's had a bye. Uh, Winnipeg has not, but they only have four touchdowns in those three games, and that just that number really jumps out for me, DT. Yeah, uh, ten-point loss to the Stamps. I think now we kind of see. We've seen three games where the Lions are really good. They sort of beat the Red Blacks by 11. Okay, that's fine and for a game in Ottawa. Overtime to the uh, to the uh, Riders, that one could have gone any direction. So a big win, a big loss, and then a close loss. They're, that's, that's about a 500-ish football team, right? Despite the fact that they're one and two, they could easily be it's they could easily be two and one had that Calgary game gone differently or or pardon me the SAS game or one one and one had they you know been able to kick that last field goal uh yeah I I'll be curious to see them in person um not that it'll change everything but it's it's just the Bombers are such a good test for everyone else right uh they were they were they should have been a good test for the BC Lions but they certainly showed us that okay BC can make this happen against a good team on both sides of the ball uh, for Montreal. It was, Oh, they're two and Oh, they feel great. People are talking about them as the, the beast of the East. And then they just can't do anything against this bombers team. It's just a real nice measuring stick. So that's, that's perhaps the part I, I'm most curious to see is how do they look against Winnipeg, a team that is vulnerable in spots, but your, your defense better come ready to play because they're not particularly vulnerable on offense. Perhaps a, another low scoring game Friday night. Well, unless Dalton Schoen decides he wants to run open and free against some dudes, then uh, in which case it may just be a total blowout. Or maybe Greg McRae goes bonkers again and puts up some 35-yarders. It's uh, uh, Oh, and we're, we're certainly expecting Nick Dembski to be back for that one. We don't know for sure, still waiting for, as we're recording this, we haven't seen the first day of practice yet. But uh, yeah, it's uh, could be could be some good signs coming for the offense uh, this this week.
He of the film room fame. Skylar Peters joining us now on the Blue Bomber podcast. Did I get the name of that feature right, Skylar? Yeah. Uh, I was off last week. So fame I'm... is generous, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you think that way. <laughs> well, it's a terrific feature, and we uh, slide it into the podcast as well, so you'll hear last week's or this past week's mm-hmm. film room. What have you got on on tap for us this week? Or, uh, you know, I know I'm asking for a spoiler yeah. here. No, just uh, just did some legwork early this morning uh, as we sit here on Tuesday morning. So I've got a couple days until uh, it's got to be done for Friday, but I have decided it's uh, a memorable game between this week's opponent, the Calgary Stampeders. That's all you're giving memorable us? Memorable moments, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, just a, just an overall good game play between these two clubs in recent years. Oh, so, okay. Uh, I might have an there, idea where you're there going. There are some, uh, some similarities to what we saw uh, on the field from the Bombers this week against Montreal, or this past week, I should say, um, and what I I'm kind of covering it kind of spurred my thought process so all maybe, right. maybe you'll have an idea by the time we're wrapping this okay, up okay all right I, i've got an idea I, I'll, I'll uh i'll share my uh, thoughts off off mic with you um Seattle Seahawks uh, still zero and zero. That's NFL, right. <laughs> they're still undefeated, but they're also winless. Uh, the Canadian Football League. I, I know it's something that you, that you follow and and it's so close to your heart. But I asked Derek Taylor this question: Did the CFL make a huge mistake by having last night's game last night and not having it at least Monday afternoon? If they're going to take advantage of a holiday, supposedly a holiday for most people, or should they have just had the game on Sunday? Yeah, it was kind of bizarre. Like I, I had almost forgotten that that game. I was did <laughs> forget about it. So I was, I was uh, bombing around at a, a certain steakhouse in the city, and I was like, "Oh yeah, the, these two teams have to play each other still this week." So you know what? It ended up being a pretty entertaining game. I mean, just yeah, uh, for those that saw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how many was that? I don't know. I don't know how many were in the stands at BMO Field either. But in a weird start time, it had to be like seven thirty um, Eastern time, local time for their kickoff or something. Something like that, and I thought, like, you know, you have trouble grabbing people in Toronto as it is, and it just at the end of a long weekend. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I was, uh, I was kind of puzzled looking at the TV, but it was an entertaining game. Yeah. So uh, if you recorded it, uh, maybe uh, it's an excuse to go and uh, look mm-hmm. at it again. So uh, Saturday night, Blue Bombers go into Montreal. We know what happened here the previous week against the BC Lions. I think the Blue Bombers were probably looking to make amends. They were probably to prove. To those that doubted whether or not they should be in the conversation as the best team in the league right now, BC Lions, obviously taken care of very nicely by Toronto Argonauts. So are the Argos the defending champions, the class of the league? I guess that's yet to be determined. The Bombers and Argos will not play one another until September in another piece of classic Mm -hmm. CFL scheduling. (laughs) Uh, The whole idea that the the Bombers, uh, you know, go into Montreal and that's, I don't care what the records of the teams have been over the years for the Bombers when they've been good. Winning in Montreal seems to always have been somewhat difficult. And when they were bad, they sometimes either got clobbered or found a way to win games in Montreal. What was your take on the game overall before I ask you the uh, ultimate question I want to get your feedback on here? Yeah, well, just to to um, add to that point, I think the the Bombers were in Montreal at the end of the year in 2019, was it? Or maybe 2021. And, I mean, that's a game I think they started Drew Brown in and he threw a couple of picks. Like, it didn't matter to the Bombers, but another loss, you know, even with this, this Bombers team as it stands is, you know, one of their greatest rosters that they've constructed over the last couple of decades and another loss in Montreal. So, yeah, Molson Stadium's been been a bit of a tough one uh, i was really impressed i you know i'm gonna give a lot of credit to uh the coaching staff the players certainly executed no doubt about that but um you know for an hour and 50 minute delay or whatever it was until kickoff um you know it's kind of up to the players to you know stay light and stay loose they're pros and they did that but i was really impressed with buck pierce and the offense you know sticking to the ground game um they ran with conviction they kind of spread it around brady Oliveira obviously had most of the yards but uh, i believe um greg McC- Cray got in there. Rashid Bailey had a couple of touches too, and and Zach Claros had his own for four yards. Uh, I was really impressed. You know, in that weather, after that delay, um, you know, with all the weapons you have in the passing game, and yeah, they did have the two touchdowns in the air, but I think they did 
did most of their work on the ground. Um, and the offensive line was just terrific in executing, getting those blocks. There were some nice holes for Brady Oliver, who did some nice running on his own as well after that. But uh, that was kind of the thing that impressed me the most. And the defense uh, with a couple of timely turnovers as well. Yeah, Buck Pierce can't be a player of the game, which is the question yeah. <laughs> that I want to ask you. Who was the outstanding player of that game in your mind? I Well, I actually was going to go off the board and say Buck Pierce. But yeah, he's not a player. So I'm, uh, you know, non-clipboard holding Winnipeg Blue Bomber members. Probably one of the interior guys. Jeff Gray, Chris Kolonkowski, um, Patty Newfeld. I think that, you know, they were... Bounce kinda, back, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like and Jeff Gray had a rough... Yeah, outing against well, BC. Was it eight sacks against BC they allowed? Right, it was seven, six. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Many. It was over five, and it right. was the first time in in the Caleros era that time. they'd given up that many. Yeah, um, and a great bounce back by all five guys. I mean, Stanley Bryant and, and Jamarcus Hardrick as well on the outside. But uh, you know, for them to, you know, I had some questions about that O line all of a sudden after that BC game, and I'm like, whoa, like this is a line that's been together, and you know, there's really no substitute for good chemistry when it comes to the guys up front on either side of the ball. Uh, and we knew that was going to be a strength of the Bombers as they kind of can rely on each other and know what each other are all about. But, you know, they're another year older. And Stanley Bryant and Jamar, these guys aren't spring chickens anymore. And they kind of got exposed against BC in the past rush. And I was like, oh, man, like, is this line really going to take a step back? And they, the emphatic answer is no, uh, at least with that performance on Saturday night uh, against Montreal. So I, w- I was really impressed. Two sacks, Zach Caleros, uh, for a couple of yards lost. I, you know, I think he did a good job of minimizing uh, the damage done on those. And I believe there was a conversion on one of those sacks, too. So they ended up moving the chains anyway. But, uh, yeah, overall, I think I think the best position group of the night for the blue, but probably for both teams, actually, on either side of the ball was the blue bombers o-line um and when that's your best position group i think either you know your d-line or your o-line you're going to be in good shape so that was uh, that was really encouraging i'll get your opinion on this we were also talking about the impact of jackson jeff coat now of course he didn't have the stats that willie jefferson had mm-hmm. and you could argue and i might argue with you that willie jefferson was the player of the game on saturday night but jackson jeff coat his impact because i firmly believe There's no way really to prove this, but I firmly believe the reason Willie Jefferson has a night like he did on Saturday is because in the back of your mind, you're worried about 94 Mm -hmm. and five is able to do some things that he's obviously capable of. But I think it's more likely that he does those things when the offensive line, when the quarterback, when the offensive coordinator have to worry about what's happening on that blind side. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right because you, you got to even if like you know it, it's going man on man and um, you know you're not doubling up on either of these guys. There is there is something to be said about that kind of like subliminal effect because you know that Jackson Jeff Coates out there as well. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of like the bombers brought different looks and they've been doing that throughout this year, you know, bringing the DBs up to the line and they drop a few back. Sometimes these guys join in on the pass rush, um, but you can always count on the two ends. Obviously Jeff Coden and Jefferson are going to be there. Like those guys don't move backwards very often, which is good because that's not what they're getting paid to do. So um, yeah, Jeff Coat getting back, I think has been just huge for this defense and that's what that defense should look like. And you know, when they don't maybe get to the quarterback and they, I think they had four sacks on the game, which isn't, you know, it's a solid number, but it's not like the eight or seven we saw but you had a strip sack you had a knockdown right right? and so and and i think they forced cody fajardo to to maybe throw the ball a bit earlier you know doesn't get through his process and then it leads to the picks too so yeah like i was gonna say like it just leads to turnovers in in a couple different facets too so um the influence of those guys in the d-line as a whole is has been really fantastic and that's like that's the brand of football i kind of expected the blue bombers to play the, sure. the utility knife, the Swiss Army knife, that is Nick Dembski, difficult if not impossible to replace, but boy, oh boy. Greg McRae does yeah. a job whenever he's asked to do it. I'll drop another hint for this uh, week's episode of The Film Room is Nick Dembski makes a, a very prominent appearance in this one upcoming that you'll hear on Friday and on next week's Bomber podcast. And uh, it wasn't with a, uh, a catch. I'll say that. So, yes, a Swiss Army knife. And Greg McRae is kind of what inspired it is because, like, you, you know, he he looks a lot different than some of these receivers that the Bombers, you know, have to deal um, with the loss of Kenny Lawler still, obviously. And, and Nick Dembski was away um, this week. And, 
he uh, they kind of played to his strengths and credit again to the to the offensive game plan and Buck Pierce like this guy's got wheels so like let's get him out in some space and, and let him move with the ball in his hand you know get the ball in his hand quickly and let him make some plays so I thought I thought McCray was awesome he had that 36 or 37 yard rush uh, ended up with 40 on the night and to get that from a you know a wide receiver um, when you have a guy like Oliver who's pounding the ball consistently on almost every set of downs um, is really impressive so I really like that well and to, to circle back before we wrap this up to your Buck Pierce assessment, the whole idea, never mind of what Zach Caleros can do, but throwing that deep ball to Drew Walatarski, that touchdown, sort of an unexpected route from Walatarski, yeah. <laughs> doesn't always go deep on that route, tends to stay short, clearly tricked the, uh, the, the Alouette's defensive backfield, but the idea that you got the ball into the hands of Janarian Grant, mm-hmm. into the hands of, of Rashid Bailey on that jet sweep, and then McRae as well, it just shows that this Blue Bomber offense, even without the CFL's top receiver, essentially for the last two years, that they bring back into the fold, and then the guy who might be the next best receiver on, yeah. on, on the team, with all due respect to Dalton, showing what he's managed to do. But both Dembski and Lawler out, and then they managed to do what they did. Not gigantic numbers, but I think it was the way they did it. Yeah, shows you the versatility of this Bombers offense. They could beat you in many ways. And that's, I mean, if you're a Calgary defensive coach, like you got to be concerned whether you're the DB's coach, whether you're the line coach, defensive coordinator. Um, like this is uh, this is a tough offense to stop. And I'm happy we're giving Drew Walatarski some flowers because I think he was born. In, no, it wasn't. He was born in California and grew up in Montreal. Is that that's right? His mom, his mom was born in Montreal, which. Okay. Okay. is what entitles him to that Canadian right. designation oh, or the yes. national so the parents, designation right? in the CFL, correct? Yeah, I know it's kind of a second home of sorts for him, so for him to have a touchdown at uh, Molson Stadium I'm sure felt pretty good, and uh, I remember Zach Caleros talking about <laughs> they call uh, Drew Walatarski running some routes, they just call it the Wally, the Wally route, and that looked like a Wally route, because like you said, it didn't really, you know it didn't look like some something that uh, Buck Pierce would have drawn up on a whiteboard with X's and O's, but yet there's nobody within five yards of Drew Walatarski, the only thing was staying in bounds kind of at the back corner of that end zone which he obviously did and um he's a guy that does not get enough shine and i, I knew when dalton Schoen wasn't signed by an nfl team and we knew he was coming back and then especially when they brought in kenny lawler i'm like oh man like i i, I know wally's gonna have a prominent role because he's a canadian and he's gonna factor in this offense but i really hope you know he gets his shine in the red zone and stuff like that and running these routes and maybe some big catches some big conversions and now obviously the first touchdown of the year for him so that was really exciting well see. you mentioned that corner of the end zone and last week i mentioned to dt that i probably if i was buck pierce and i was the offensive coordinator those oddly shaped end zones <sighs> in montreal would have given me more headaches and and more causes <laughs> for concern than they ought to but i mean there was on a Fine display on Saturday night because if Walatarski sort of follows the ball the way he normally would on a on a oh, usually sure. on a usually shaped CFL end zone, yeah, he's 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 out for by like sure. Five right? yards, yeah, yeah. So, not even close. <laughs> so a great uh, great job by Drew Walatarski and all yeah. involved. Yeah, that was uh, that was really good. I I've always wondered what it's like to because I believe the end zones are shorter, they're square but shorter at BMO Field too, right? I think you're right. I yeah. think it's like three yards or something. Right. They're like uh, 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 seventeen or eighteen yards. Yeah, whatever, arbitrary. It, but you know, BC Lions started that because the CFL end zones forever were twenty five yards, and then when the Lions moved from Empire Stadium to BC Place, only so much space they right? couldn't yeah. fit twenty five yards, so they had to change the the size of the the, the end zones for all teams down to 20. I, so. think, I think it's hilarious. Like it's, it's not exactly like baseball when you play in a different shaped diamond every night, Pretty but, close. but it kind of is, Sure, you know, you just, you, the bombers practice at IG field, state of the art, you know, normal facility. This is what the except CFL when, should except look Except like. when the NFL plays a yeah. preseason oh, game God, there. Don't remind me. <laughs> That was my first ever uh, reporting assignment for CJOB. Oh, that disaster. What a, what a but, disaster uh, indeed. Got to interview John Gruden of all people. So that's not exactly a claim to fame these days either. But uh, yeah, fun night in August that was. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I, I'd love to like talk to Drew Walatarski or, or uh, Mike O'Shea or these guys about it. You know, like, is that... How, when do you start thinking about that? Like when you go out for the walk through the day before, I mean, obviously these guys have played at Molson stadium, you know, time and time again, but, um, I know for myself, I'd just be running, I'd be running around. And next thing you know, I'm looking at the sideline, like five yards behind me with the ball in my hand. And be like, Oop. 
<laughs> so that'd be that'd be a fun one to ask those guys about for sure. But uh, hey, they made it look easy, uh, especially on that play. That was a you know to go to the passing attack after you know just pounding the ball down the field, looking very efficient doing it. Um, I just thought that's that's what the Bombers you know we expect the Bombers to look like. So that was a pretty impressive drive and, and overall an impressive game. All right, Skyler Peters, we appreciate you. We appreciate your input on the podcast and of course every week in the film room. Thank you, my friend. Pleasure. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. There's really nothing better to help us celebrate our nation than a game that's uniquely our own. Canada Day and the CFL have always gone hand in hand, and the Bombers have played a prominent role in that lately, involved in now three of the past nine Canada Day games. The last one was more than a half decade ago, though. It also marked another milestone, the first ever regular season game at the new Mosaic Stadium, on July 1st, 2017. Let's skip ahead to the third quarter. A little more than four minutes gone by. Winnipeg down 13-17 on their own 23-yard line. Nichols back to pass. And he's going long. Dressler wide open. 40, 35, 30. They won't catch him. Touchdown, Weston Dressler on a bomb from Matt Nichols. Weston Dressler was never the guy who was going to climb the ladder and beat out a corner on a contested catch. But what he could always do is get wide open. Watching this play reminds me of this memorable soundbite from a one-time CFLer, Chad Johnson. You see how there's nobody around me? This is how it is in the field of play also. There was no one between Pilot Butte and Wilcox that was coming anywhere close to number seven on that play. All he had to do after that was turn on the Jets and beeline it to the house. His first touchdown of the year, but Dressler says it wasn't the first time he got way open. You know, they had a few miscues early on that we felt like we should have taken advantage of that we didn't, um, you know, and... Luckily, they were still there in the second half, and we were able to capitalize on that time. Despite going into the break, trailing by just four points, it wasn't the cleanest half of football Winnipeg had ever played. And Matt Nichols was not interested in letting their bitter rivals get away with errors like that anymore. Credit to the game plan there, and, and the receivers running great routes. But um, yeah, I think we had some great play designs that got them really messed up with some of our motions and, and those types of things. The guy driving a lot of those halftime adjustments was likely the head coach. It's what our, our offense expected would happen, you know, if they did a few different things. So they, they made a nice adjustment in uh, at half and came out and, and executed that, that pretty nicely. I mean, I think we, once again, I think we had a, another couple in the end zone that we could have taken advantage of. Indeed, Dressler's first major of the season seemed to spark a Bombers squad that missed on key opportunities in the first half. And that spark caught fire not only on the offensive side of the ball. On the ensuing kickoff, a fumble recovery by the special teamers. And then the very next play from scrimmage. Nichols empties the backfield. Fires deep into the end zone. Dressler, touchdown. Nobody within 10 yards of him. And the Bombers make it 26-17. Dressler doubles down, and it's like he was wearing an invisibility cloak out there. We asked him, have you ever been that wide open twice in a row? Not quite like that. I don't think... uh, they had a yeah. real bust, a bust in the coverage on that one. Um, just nobody lined up over me, and you know, luckily Matt was able uh, to see that at the same time that I was. That 15 to seven connection flipped the script of the game with just two balls for a team who had to sit around on their bye during Week One, playing their first meaningful game of the season in July. A little rust was passable for the QB. It just took a little bit for us to get going, and you know, sometimes games go like that. But that's why there's four quarters in a football game, and. I think that we could have felt sorry for ourselves and not responded, but um, you know, everyone rallied. Call them raucous, rowdy, or something else. Ryder fans certainly generate a lot of noise. Something Dressler got very used to during his eight seasons wearing green, but this time he was the one trying to silence them. Uh, you, you got the preseason games and all that, but uh, nothing, nothing is quite like um, the regular season games when you get back into the swing of things. Then it was down to the legs of Tyler Krapinga and Justin Medlock in the mini games. Both kickers made their first attempts, but after Krapinga boinked one off the left upright, it was up to the future Bombers Hall of Famer to seal the deal. There's the snap, ball on the tee. It's in the air, and it is good. And the Blue Bombers have won in overtime, 43-40, to Justin Medlock. That left foot of Medlock made no mistake, and it feels fitting on the week where the team announced he will join the club's greats that the game in this particular instance was decided by him.
After all... Justin Medlock, he's, he's money. The Bombers got away with one in the first ever regular season game at New Mosaic. And on that night of the first conquest in enemy territory, there was no one better to ask about what it would feel like than the man who helped turn the tide. You know, this is a pretty special building, and I think it's great for the league that it's here, and great for the Rough Riders um, that they have a place like this. And uh, it's... Uh, they're going, to have some, they're going to have some thrillers here, that's for sure. We have certainly seen some thrillers since then. The Bombers winning the first playoff game there the next year and the first West Final the year after that. But as the Blue and Gold look for a bounce back this week and to put the first chink in the armor of the undefeated Owls, we'll have to wait and see if those Canada Day fireworks might show up a little early in the evening once again. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski! The five and a touchdown! Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got in the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. All right, DT, we have to talk a little bit CFL fantasy i moved up in the standings a little bit this week thank goodness but uh certainly is still way far even back from the middle of the pack in our cjob league how'd you do this week not bad i think i think i had 92 points i had Kalaris as my captain i'm i think i'm gonna move away from using a quarterback as my captain i i thought honestly there'd be more points to be had for at least fantasy-wise, in that uh, Montreal game. And then once once we knew it was going to be just awful weather, I didn't have a chance to go back and change because Doug Brown was super guilting me live on the air, and I felt it would have been bad to go back and change that. So uh, not bad. 133rd in the league uh, out of 809 folks. Thank you to everybody. 809 people participating in our fantasy league is fantastic, and we love that you're all there. Uh, but 90 points where the, where the cap this week was 119. That's... I'm satisfied with how this week went. All right. Well, um, any uh, sleepers for this week? Oh, what's the... Well, okay, why... Hmm, what have I got? One thing to watch, let's say this. Um, I know they're coming in to play the Bombers, but Calgary, I think, is going to be committed to running the ball. So if Diedrich Mills, their guy who I would expect starts at running back, is a, is a good price, and I mean like sub... $8,000, you want to consider, I'm a big fan of low-dollar running backs, and there are not a lot of them out there right now. So low-dollar running backs for me are, are always the way that I uh, I want to go. Let's see, Saskatchewan's back in action. They've got good running backs, but they're probably going to split duties there. That one gets a little tougher. Oh, yeah, the Riders are taking on the Elks, so maybe it's a Trevor Harris week, and it may be a which receiver. Maybe it's a Samuel Emelis week or something in that vein because – the the two teams that I'm uh, I'd be looking at are the Riders and then oof, Red Blacks Tiger Cats may be good for some points. Oh, BC Lions are in Montreal. Or BC Lions host Montreal. There you go. How about some Taquan Mizell at running back as uh, the Lions look to get back on track after whatever that was in Toronto on, on Monday. <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, low dollar running backs and. Hey, it's the Alouettes, so maybe Austin Mack, who had another great game, is is still in play if his price hasn't gone up too much after yet another dominant fantasy performance. Yeah, he was really good. I I, I went against my you know my heart and I picked uh, Mack, and you know with a last name like Mack, I, I guess I got to pick him each and every week now. Right, that just that just seems uh, appropriate. That's that's the way to go. Uh, I'll never forget. I was a youngster growing up near Calgary, and both the Stampeders. And then the uh, basketball team, the Calgary 88s, both had a different guy named Derek Taylor. So you can imagine I'm a, in my heart, uh, part of me is a big Stampeder and Calgary 88s fan. Rest in peace, Calgary 88s. I remember the 88s. It's one thing to get a last name bang on. I mean, I know your last name's a little more common than my last name, but to get a Derek Taylor, not once, but twice as a youngster, why? I pray down to you. Well, I, I, I'm not worthy. I, well, and then uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm just going to Google this to make sure I'm not talking at my butt. Jason Bateman's character on the show Silver Spoons was also named Derek Taylor. So I, I had a golden Right? Yeah. Jason Bateman and I are like this right now because uh, he was he was named after me on the show. News you can use on the Blue Bomber podcast. <laughs> Who the hell knew? Thanks, DT. What, was, what is Silver Spoons? What the hell are they talking about? Silver Spoons. 
yeah, world. That's that's the sit world. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us. 